I hate war as only a soldier who has lived it can, only as one who has seen its brutality, its futility, its stupidity. Dwight D. Eisenhower. Welcome to the Veterans for Peace Radio Hour. The Radio Hour is a project of Veterans for Peace Chapter 168, Louisville, Kentucky, broadcast on Forward Radio, WFMP-LP, Louisville 106.5 FM. This program is also available on the Forward Radio website in streaming and podcast form at forwardradio.org. That's all lowercase and no spaces. Veterans for Peace is an international organization dedicated to building a culture of peace. We are military veterans, family members, and allies. We accept veteran members from all branches and all eras of service. Veterans for Peace has been exposing the true costs of war since 1985. As veterans, we work to heal the world and ourselves through our commitment to peace. That may seem like a tall order, maybe impossible, even ludicrous. But we must keep in mind that every journey begins with the first step. Please join us on our journey. Hello, everyone. I'm Carol Trainer, and I'm your host today. Thanks for joining us. On today's show, I'll be talking to Jim Ryan, a member of the Veterans for Peace Climate Crisis and Militarism Project, and also Robert Schiraldi, a VFP member and outstanding poet. So let's get started. Recently, the global climate crisis has been at the front of the news with the gathering of the COP26 in Glasgow, UK. COP stands for Conference of the Parties, and the 2021 meeting was the 26th meeting, hence the name. It's attended by countries that signed the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change Treaty in 1994. Members of Veterans for Peace also attended. Hereafter, I'll refer to Veterans for Peace as VFP. VFP is involved in the climate crisis through the Climate Crisis and Militarism Project, or CCMP for short. The military loves its acronyms. Jim Ryan of CCMP Project joins me here today to discuss this important issue. Jim is a retired research geologist, adjunct professor in the Department of Environmental Science and Geology at Wayne State University, and is a member of the Climate Crisis and Militarism Project within Veterans for Peace. Jim is a Vietnam-era vet who joined VFP in 2005 while living in Houston, Texas, and prior to returning to his hometown of Detroit in 2016. Welcome to the Veterans for Peace Radio Hour, Jim. Thank you. I really do appreciate the opportunity to meet with you and uh, talk to your, uh, your listeners. I know a little bit about climate crisis, but I seek to learn more, and I thought you'd be the perfect person to educate me and our listeners. So I'm going to start off with a question about the CC, is a CCMP? That's correct. So let me give you a little bit of a narrative of, of, of how this project, and that's a de- designation within Veterans for Peace. They have working groups, and then they have projects, which I'm not really sure. We can have a budget that's recognized by, by the organization. That's about mm-hmm. the only difference. So. Climate began to be an issue with Veterans for Peace a few years ago. I remember attending a, a, a workshop back in the Chicago convention. It was 2017. I hadn't attended the conventions after that for a couple of years until they went virtual. And things started to go. And then eventually, I think Woody Powell, Steve Morris, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Vince uh, Dijanik decided that maybe we needed a, a, you know, more of a formal organization 
that would pursue pursue this. So they got uh, permission from uh, Veterans for Peace to, to start a working group, and that's how it started. So it's sort of ad hoc group. We did get a name, and we got on our on the Veterans for Peace website as a working group. But just in the last year or so, things have really started to. Uh, well, I'm not sure snowball would be the uh, the proper term to use in the climate <laughs> crisis. I keep, I keep thinking of, uh, what's his name, Inhofe, and uh, standing on the floor of the Senate with the snowball saying, oh, climate change can't be happening. I got a snowball in my hand, if you, if you recall that happening. Yes. But at any rate, uh, we started meeting online, you know, virtually since, you know, this was the, well, we've been meeting virtually because most of our members are on the West Coast. So mm -hmm. uh, a lot of our meetings are pretty late for me. I'm on, in the Detroit area. Mm -hmm. But at any rate, uh, we met, we started thinking of things to do. And one of the first things we started, the first of this year, was, you know, after the election, you know, John Kerry took over as a special envoy, mm -hmm. special climate, climate envoy for mm -hmm. uh, uh, President Biden. So we decided that, you know, Kerry was sort of involved, sort of in the start of Veterans for Peace, because he was one of the founding members of uh, Vietnam Veterans Against the War. And you remember mm -hmm. he testified to Congress about right. the Vietnam War. So we decided that that would be a good hook. And we sent, we composed a letter. And then we had hundreds of organizations sign on to this letter, again, a virtual letter. And you can... You can read the letter. You can see all the organizations and individuals that signed on to it at our website. And the website is at the veteransforpeace.org website. If you just go to uh, our work and go to the Climate Crisis and Militarism Project, you can, you can see a bunch of buttons there. Uh, one of them is uh, following uh, John Kerry and you can, you can find the letter there. But all these folks, all these groups and individuals signed on, and some of those included Jane Fonda and Daniel Ellsberg, mm -hmm. the people that are on our uh, advisory board. And the letter was sent. Uh, Garrett Reppenhagen had some contacts in the office, uh, Kerry's office. So we actually, in April, had a meeting with John Kerry's staff. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, we thought it was going to be a, a sort of a initial meeting and then things would grow from there. So we'd have more contacts going on. And during that meeting, uh, uh, they dropped that, uh, oh, by the way, do you know those 800 bases we have overseas? <laughs> the United States military has overseas. Mm -hmm. Well, they mentioned that uh, all the admissions from those bases credited to the host country. So not only do they get to host are very, you know, fine young men and women. They also get to uh, uh, put our emissions against their their emissions. So wow, I did not, not know that. Well, of course, you know, you know that uh, back in 1997, the Kyoto, when they had the Kyoto meeting, it was mm -hmm. negotiated. The U.S. military, or actually any military, it was it was made a condition that none of the governments that signed on to that could. You, you know, put their military mission. So that was essentially exempt wow. from the national mission tally. And then, of course, that was negotiated 
during the Clinton-Gore administration. That wasn't Republican. Now, I had a question. Um, I know the U.S. military is a single source of greenhouse gas emissions on the entire planet. So is that even with not including those 800 bases that we still are the single source of greenhouse? Or does that, do you know if that includes that? we're We're the largest institutional source or the our military is the largest institutional source of greenhouse gas emissions. Uh-huh. And, okay, so these emissions, and we have, you can read this in our, we have a resource page uh, in our uh, uh, our working group of website, but uh, all these emissions are not, they're reported by the Department of Defense. The only thing they report now and I think it's been like a little over a decade, and I just we just discovered this. So you know, there's a lot of information, and so much information that it's kind of hard to find it. But we only report the military only reports from domestic facilities, which is only about a third of total U.S. government or Department of Defense emissions. There is no until actually. Uh, the last National Defense Authorization Act, or 2021, was there any stipulation there that uh, the U.S. military had to report all their emissions? And actually, we we discovered this by doing research and working on a, a resolution uh, that just got submitted uh, by Representative Barbara Lee of California. That's when we found out about uh, uh, the fact that they were supposed to report their emissions, but they they still haven't still haven't done it. But let me let me drop back in the story, if I may. Okay. Uh, so after the the letter that was sent to Carrie, and uh, like I said, we were expecting uh, follow through, you know, more meetings, but we could never get another meeting. So we were thinking of what next to do, and one of the things that was came up was, uh, uh, well, we have the slideshow, which if your listeners, you know, for your uh, VFP chapters or any environmental organization, uh, we're happy to give a, uh, a slideshow presentation virtually about this particular issue. Okay, so we started that particular project. Uh, Gary Butterfield is the one that's running that. He's in the San Diego chapter. But also we decided to uh, maybe we could get a congressional resolution that calls on the Department of Defense to report their emissions. So I mentioned Steve Morris and uh, Vince Dijanik. They're in the uh, Oakland chapter of Veterans for Peace. Mm -hmm. And their representative is Representative Barbara Lee. And if, if you recall, Representative Barbara Lee was the only representatives to vote against the invasion of Afghanistan. And she has also been a proponent. I think she was the lead sponsor on a bill about Agent Orange. Mm -hmm. So she's been a strong advocate for veterans affairs and and peace issues and also the environment. But we had a chance meeting with her, uh, with her office that is, back in June. And we just, that we'd already written up this resolution and we said well you think she would be willing to submit this resolution which calls on the department of defense 
to report their emissions and also to come up with reduction targets. And me being the wild and crazy lady that she is, <laughs> uh, said, yes, I'll do it. Send it to me and we'll look it over. So this resolution was actually introduced into Congress on the 3rd of, of November. And uh, your listeners can, by going to the uh, Climate Crisis and Militarism Project uh, website, you will see a button there saying uh, support the congressional resolution. And it will take you to a site that will, uh, you can find your member of Congress if you don't know who it is and send the letter telling them, him or her, to uh, endorse the resolution. Again, the resolution calls for the Department of Defense to report their emissions and also to come up with reduction targets to stay below 1.5 degree Celsius by 2100. And uh, as I said before, you're familiar with the uh, National Defense Authorization Act that comes out every year with bazillions of dollars. Yes. Yes. Well, in the 2021 bill, how it got in there, I think a lot of Republicans don't know because they probably didn't read it because it's like, what, almost a thousand pages. <laughs> it calls on the Department of Defense to report not only the last year's emissions, total emissions, but the 10 years before. And that report was due last July, and they have not done it yet. So this resolution sort of came out at a apropos time to sort of reinforce the fact that the Department of Defense needs to report their emissions, their total emissions. Oh, that's good. Um, and why are the, uh, you sent me a little note, and I'm saying that only 1% of the U.S. greenhouse gas emissions, why are the DOD emissions a big deal? Well, okay, so that's 1%. And again, that's based on estimates. And there are there are a bunch of, uh, like the National Priorities Project has, has looked at emissions, estimating them based on uh, the amount of fuel that the DOD supposedly has used. Uh, Netta Crawford from Brown University has also looked at fuel use. So that's where that 1% come from, comes from. That doesn't include the military industrial complex that, that builds all this stuff for us. So you could probably at least double that number. So uh -huh. we're at 2%. Wow. So even at 1%, we would still, uh, the Department of Defense would be the 47th larger emitter of greenhouse gases in the world. Mm -hmm. So if you want to ignore like Portugal or Denmark, you know, we can't reach our emission levels without uh, the ne necessary reductions if we ignore whole countries like that. Mm -hmm. Why haven't the DOD... A... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. go ahead. I was just going to ask, why haven't the total DOD emissions been reported previously? I think the reason why is if people saw how, how large their emissions were and it was reported on an annual basis, they would go like a lot of environmental groups. And that's one of the reasons why we, we have this particular project is we're trying to get out of the silo of environment and, and, and military or anti-military and get them sort of working together. We're trying to show like to environmental groups that hey, we can't ignore all these emissions because look how high they are. So they're, like I said, the 
the equivalent of, let's say, Portugal. And if you were to add the, uh, the military or the industrial complex that's building all the tanks and the missiles and things mm -hmm. like that, then you're getting up to the level of, let's say, Holland. And Holland is the host of uh, uh, Dutch Shell. So mm -hmm. we'd be equating, the military would be equating with, with that sort of country. But then there's another other thing, and the Quincy Institute just had a, a interesting, uh, there's a video out and there's also a report by uh, Anatole uh, Levin. Uh, and essentially the, the, the report he has is that climate change is the number one security threat to the United States. Wow. And he and in his premise, he points out that, uh, you know, stressing on the military, you know, we we are, uh, you know, the world largest. We spend the most money on our military. Mm -hmm. If you were to add up the next 10 to 11 countries, it, that would equal the amount of expenditures that the United States expends. And the premise on this particular article in the Quincy Institute was that we, we cannot hope to have, uh, let's say, international support or to attack climate if we're spending all this money and trying to uh, essentially bully the whole world with our military. So mm -hmm. in a way, our large military, uh, like with our conflict that we're trying to you know, gin mm -hmm. up with China, Mm -hmm. How do we expect China to cooperate with us on climate change if we keep, you know, bad-mouthing them and keep building up our military to supposedly uh, get ready for some future war with China? It's, it's the premise of that particular article is that, you know, if climate is as important to the Biden administration, uh, as they say it is, why are we spending, you know, over almost $800 billion on our military? Why are we spending that amount of money dealing with climate change? Because uh, outside of a nuclear, let's say, war with China or with Russia, the biggest threat to the average American is climate change. And I say that I'm a retired geologist. Uh, I've looked at climate issues for the last 35 years. I'd started my, my first project uh, looking at uh, sediments in a place called Suriname. That was my NAM experience. It was Suriname. It's in Suriname. South America. Mm -hmm. It's on the northeast coast of uh, South America. And uh, it was sediments that were laid down in the early Holocene when the sea level was about... Uh, uh, 75 to 100 feet lower than it is today. So, and then mm. through my whole career, I've looked at rocks and I've seen, you know, climate has changed you know, over the millions of years and then for the whole scene over the last 10,000 years. And it's kind of like seasonal, you know, climate is, it changes, it does. And when you put this much CO2 in the atmosphere, climate is going to change. It has been Again. called climate change a lot, but really it's beyond climate change. It's the, They call it climate crisis now. It's well, gone from change to crisis. Um, well, yeah, it is a crisis because you know, there, there is a, uh, you know, a lot of folks say, well, we got to save the planet. As a geologist, I go, 
don't worry about the planet. The planet is going to be just fine. It's the people that are living on it aren't going to be mm-hmm. so fine. Really? And that's that's yeah. what I worry about. I worry about the future of my grandson and what kind of world oh, he's going to have. Definitely. Me too. Um, so I've been following the COP26 information that's been coming out um, recently. And I just recently Greta Thunberg has said that COP26 is a failure. That is just a feel-good effort by, you know, the national leaders. What do you say about that? Well, I would probably tend to agree with her more than I would, uh, let's say, agree with John Kerry, who thinks we're doing a great job. You know, it didn't help that uh, uh, Joe Manchin at all no. didn't, and others, you know, didn't sort of squash the, uh, the the climate initiatives and the Build Back Better plan that uh, that Biden has, has proposed and the Dems have been trying to pass. Uh, I think it would have been a lot. We would have had a stronger hand. We might have had more been more hopeful if. Uh, you know, if that would have passed, because mm-hmm. we would have had things like uh, a carrot in the stick approach to uh, lowering emissions in the United States. And how can other countries even trust us? You know, like we have a president right now that says, yeah, we're into climate change. You know, we want to do a lot. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. But then in the next couple of years, you get maybe a new president that'll totally have a different opinion of it, like we just had with our recent president. Uh, yes, and that's that's true. I don't I don't think they can trust. It. So before, I mean, I've been a member of uh, Veterans for Peace since I think it was two thousand seven. Uh, during the Iraq War, I've been to Camp Camp uh, Casey, Crawford, Texas. So, I mean, I was involved, you know, fighting, or not fighting, but uh, leading, not demonstrations, but leading the yeah, charge. We, we had we had memorials and things like that in Houston, Texas, where we would put out a a labeled flag for each uh, military uh, casualty. And, you know, putting out a couple thousand flags and even a Memorial Day in Houston. We did that here in Louisville, too, a few years back. Well, after uh, Obama uh, was, uh, uh, you know, became president, you know, the whole peace movement sort of. Exactly. I noticed that, too, here in Louisville, you know, with not so much with Veterans for Peace, but with other uh, local peace organizations that we were part of. It was like they just after Obama became president, they all got together and said, well, we don't really need to do anything anymore. We'll just do action. You know, we'll take actions as needed. But there's never been, I can't remember many actions since then. And it's just, it just floored me that they thought that everything was going to be fine after Obama well, became it, president. It, it, yeah, it, it, as you said, it wasn't, it wasn't fine. Uh, we 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 still did things in in uh, in Houston until we kept losing places where we could put out five thousand flags. So our 
energy levels sort of diminish with that. But then yeah. as a geologist, I, I kept getting more and more involved with, with the climate because the climate issue was really coming to the fore. And I, I did volunteer work with Citizens Climate Lobby then. I sort of switched over. Uh, and I've been to DC about seven times and I've been liaison to a number of members of Congress uh, from Texas and Michigan. So have you seen a lot of change in your travels? Have you, you see more and more people concerned or do you think we're not concerned enough? And what can well, we do I, to I, change that? I, I've seen both. Uh, of course, you know, I, I left Houston, Texas right before Harvey hit. And but still, you know, in Texas, you can't mention climate change, you know, mm-hmm. in like uh, in any government documents, state documents, it's because uh, it's Texas is a wild and crazy place. Michigan <laughs> is was almost as bad when I showed up. Uh, unfortunately, now we have two ladies, uh, actually three ladies in charge of uh, the state government, uh, and uh, we're we're taking action more on climate here, but people are more concerned because it's happening to them. Uh, we've had flooding here. Uh, in, in the Detroit area. Of course, there was flooding in Houston. I'm not sure, you know, how close it's gotten to you. I know that in Kentucky, uh, there's been numerous you know, rain events where there's been flash floods and people have lost their lives. So people really, even the farmers are on board because they can't, you know, uh, not see it. You couldn't mention climate change to a farmer a few years ago, but now it is more a topic. It was always severe weather or something like that. Yeah. But are we doing enough? Uh, no. Are we recognizing the problem more? Uh, yes. But the, the problem, and I think Inhofe is on, this is Senator Inhofe from Oklahoma. I think he's on tape saying that... Uh, Many years ago, before his snowball experience <laughs> in the, on the Senate floor, he said, well, I always wanted to do something about climate change until I found out how much it would cost. Oh and then goodness. ever since then, he's been opposed to action on climate change, which is brilliant wow. for whatever. I mean, I mean, we have so much money. We have all the money in the world for war, you know, trillions of dollars for wars, but nothing to help our people or the climate or or things that are really the most important to us it's it's just amazing and that's true i mean one of the one of the things that we we do in our slide presentation is try and point out that uh well one so what do we have here uh, Biden is proposing in this Build Back Better plan, what is it, $500 billion for climate issues? That's over a 10-year period. Mm-hmm. Uh, so our last budget for the Pentagon, or the one that's going to be for fiscal year 2022, is what, $780 billion, and that's just for one year. So... 
we're spending a fraction of what we're spending on the military on climate and climate is should be our the number one issue that we're dealing with it should be and what can we as individuals do to help stem the crisis well uh well, one thing, is there anything we no, can do well, yeah, individually? Uh, the really the government has got to do the major thing. We we can do individual things like uh, I uh, cut down my meat. I keep my thermostat low in the winter time, and I don't use air conditioning in the uh, uh, in the summer. That's one of the reasons why I moved back to Michigan because not using air conditioning in Houston is usually not very conducive to uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, enjoyable lifestyle. I'm sure the same is in Kentucky, but uh, it can get warm. It, it can get warm. It can get warm here too. We were lucky this last summer. Well, one is you know, tell your listeners to go, go to the Veterans for Peace uh, website uh, to go to find our, our working group or our uh, project uh, page and then ask your congressman congressperson to uh, endorse this uh, uh, this resolution calling on uh, uh, the Department of Defense to report their emissions uh, Again, if I could just only- say yeah I I, know, I saw that this morning um, where people could go in and sign up and let me just say that you can go to www.veteransforpeace.org to check that out. Go ahead. Uh, other things is uh, vote for people that are for action on climate, uh, both in the state level and in uh, in the national level. Uh, it's going to have to be a national program. I know you all did a really wonderful presentation on the climate crisis at the last uh, Veterans for Peace convention, um, and it was um, made into a not a podcast, but a, a little a video, and and also I think your group will go if requested to different organizations and give presentations. Yes, we will. So there's another button on our web page that says "Request a Slideshow," and uh, we'll be happy. I've I've given a number of presentations both to uh, my local Veterans for Peace uh, organ uh, chapters in Michigan, but also I've sort of hit up my Citizens Climate Lobby uh, connections and given presentations to uh, to uh, local groups uh, in in Michigan, uh, and of course now with the uh, the loveliness of Zoom, uh, <laughs> we can present to any club as long as they're you know, having a virtual meeting. But I also want to mention that uh, yesterday on the on the sixth of uh, excuse me, the 7th of November, uh, we were part of a uh, uh, a COP26 coalition panel where uh, we teamed up with uh, NG, the national uh, uh, project or the national, uh, forget what the the designation is, Bruce Goggin and his group. But we had a, uh, uh, we were in a panel discussion where we discussed uh, U.S. militarism and the climate crisis. So uh, that'll that should be on our website. Uh, I suppose within the next week or so, if not sooner, 
uh, it was recorded and uh, it will be accessible. It was about uh, how they recommend it. Uh, one of the things that were uh, brought up uh, was the fact that, uh, you know, people like Elon Musk and Bezos and all these folks, you know, they're building these spaceports all over the place. Mm -hmm. uh, spaceports are, you know, are, they want to build one in South Carolina. They want to put one in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, how are these economic? Mm -hmm. Well, the U.S. military wants to launch over thousands, thousands of satellites to set up a system, uh, essentially, you know, like a, uh, a, not a virtual, but a literal cloud of satellites that will, uh, uh, sort of monitor the earth and also the navy wants to put in uh, a very sophisticated sonar system in uh, the pacific to monitor uh, subsea travel you know, subsea uh, movements of uh, submarines from china or north korea and this is and this is described in that particular panel it's a very scary uh situation that uh our space force and our Navy is, uh, is uh, planning on doing over the next decade or so. And that what they should be doing, uh, instead of spending these bazillions of dollars on defense, you know, we need to be dealing with the real crisis, which is the climate crisis. Right, which causes so many human catastrophes and disasters. Um, so can you leave us with one last thought or word to the wise to carry us forward in the mission? Well, for your Veterans for Peace folks that are listening, uh, we, we have a, I suppose, some sort of credibility because most of us are veterans or we're familiar with our military and speaking out and investigating, please investigate uh, the connections on what, as far as our emissions, uh, the fact that the United States uses our military as sort of a projection uh, of our, I don't know, not even national security, but the hegemony over the whole globe. Strength and, and power and, yeah. Things like that. And we, we really need to stress, we, uh, we as veterans can speak out to say, hey, that's not very cool. Uh, we need to be stressing more about fighting climate change and not trying to bully ourselves around the world, uh, you know, trying to push, you know, American dominance because nobody's going to be dominant if it's not a livable planet. Oh, amen. Well, I really appreciate your enlightened perspective on the, on this critical issue, Jim. Um, thank you so much for being here and keep me informed of anything well, new that th comes thanks up. Thanks for having me. And uh, I will send uh, a link to uh, once the, uh, uh, the panel discussion is up on our website. So. All right. Thank you. Since we are an all volunteer radio station, I thought I'd have my grandson, Dylan Welsh, do the next station ID for us. So take it away, Dylan. You're listening to Ford Radio 106.5 Low Power FM in Louisville, Kentucky. We are an all-volunteer grassroots community radio station. To learn more about our programs or to get involved, 
please go to www.fordradio.org. Thank you from all of us at WFMP. Thank you, Dylan. Welcome back, everyone. Next up, I have a real treat. My next guest is Roberto Chiraldi, whom I first met through the VFP Be the Change book club. I learned that Roberto was quite the philosopher and poet, and I look forward to scheduling him on my show. Roberto has earned his doctorate in education and is a licensed professional counselor, licensed clinical alcohol and other drug counselor, trauma therapist, and racial justice advocate and trainer. Roberto was retired from counseling and psychological services at Princeton University, where he was a coordinator of the alcohol and other drug treatment team, and he was previously employed in a similar capacity by Temple University. He's a past president of New Jersey Association for Multicultural Counseling, and he's been a member of numerous racial justice organizations, boards, and committees. He's a pipe carrier in the Sichangu Lakota Native Spiritual Healing Tradition, a Vietnam-era veteran, and a member of Veterans for Peace. Wow, that's quite the bio, Roberto. Sounds like you're really a busy man, and I'm really happy that you took the time to be with us today. Thanks, Carol. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm really excited and looking forward to this. Well, I am too, and I look forward to hearing some of your poetry. Um, but first, uh, you're also a veteran. Can you tell me a little bit about your service and how it affected your decision to go into counseling? Yes, uh, I was drafted during the the, um, the height of the Vietnam War. I wasn't planning to go into the military because by that time I was already I already decided that I wanted to serve my country in other ways. And uh, but I got drafted, and instead of going to, I didn't want to stay in Canada, and I because I was already in the peace movement at the time. I didn't want to kill, and I didn't want to be in jail. So I learned <laughs> uh, that I could uh, enlist for an extra year, join the the branch, which was the Army Medical Corps, so I could be helping to save people rather than kill people. And as a result of that, I ended up stationed uh, in an Army hospital, working in an intensive care psychiatric unit with the fellows who came back from Vietnam, traumatized, as well as amputees and others. Um, and that's really what solidified my decision to, to stay in counseling. Um, and then the GI Bill paid for my doctorate to go on and do uh, drug and alcohol counseling and racial trauma counseling, which I ended up doing a lot of. Wow, well, that's amazing. I also had the GI Bill, which paid for my bachelor degree, so. Uh -huh. That was a pretty good benefit. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I was just wondering, what motivated you to, to write poetry? I know you've done a lot of poetry, and I've heard some of it, but what what motivates you to write? Well, initially, it was uh, feeling a little desperate because I was feeling uh, really struggling with uh, accepting my being part of the military machine and um, and the the intense the intensity of the folks that I was working with on the on the psychiatric unit. Um, I needed some help myself, some some <laughs> consolation and comforting myself. So the poetry really helped me to stay sane and help me have a, uh, an outlet for so many swirling feelings and thoughts that were running inside me. And um, in fact, one of the poems that I'll be reading in a little while was uh, is a variation of my very first poem um, that we were, we were printing uh, 
poems and and and, and printing letters from folks in in uh, Vietnam about the atrocities that were going on over there, uh-huh. and um, so that's that's how it all started. Do you still have that? Do you still have a copy of that? The poem or the newsletter? The poem, the newsletter. Yeah, that that that. The newsletter, no, but an old buddy of mine that I actually started writing with, um, he found it in the old archives somehow and sent uh, me a copy. And so I'm putting it in the book that I'll be talking oh, about. Oh, good. Yeah, that would be really interesting to see. I also hear you're about to be an author of a book of poetry. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, thanks so much for asking. I'm pretty excited. I never thought I'd be <laughs> writing a book. But <laughs> again, I, there was so many poems over the years that uh, helped me and I, I hope would also help others. And so, um, and it all came together, not coincidentally, because I don't believe in coincidence. When I joined Veterans of Peace, when I found Veterans of Peace, which was such a, a, a blessing, um, so I didn't have to feel ashamed of being a veteran anymore. Mm-hmm. And we could talk about the struggles. But um, the book, I decided it's called um, Healing Love Poems for White Supremacy Culture. And it's called that because, as Martin Luther, Martin Luther King's um, so well put, um, when we're filled with uh, love, there's no room for hatred and fear. And I believe that so many, of, so many of the struggles we have is because we really need to come back to the core value of love. So all the poems that I write, even though some of them are very painful in the, in the book about white supremacy and racism and how it hurts all of us, every one of us. Um, I always try to end the poems with uh, coming back to love as the answer, because I really believe that's the most powerful force to help us deal with all the struggles and the pain and the fear and the rage and every, the anger, everything, the hatred, the racism. It, well, it really is. Um... I had asked you if you had written any poetry on the climate crisis since my previous interview was about the climate crisis. And and you said that you hadn't really specifically, but then you created a few poems <laughs> for us. Yeah. Which, um, But I was wondering if maybe you could read some of your favorites from your book first. Um, do you have a oh. selection that you would like to read? Sure. Um, well, actually, can I write? Can I read that first one? That was the, an author, a variation of the the first poem that I actually wrote when I was in uh, the. You can writing. do whatever you like. Yes, please. Oh, so that's called that was called responsible, and this is like a variation of that initial responsible poem related to to um, the, the climate crisis. So responsible, responsible to all of nature responsible to the land, responsible to the animals, responsible to the ocean, responsible to the air we breathe, responsible to the children, responsible to the women, responsible to all living things, responsible to do our duty, responsible to kill anything in our way. So that talks about the conflict, you know, about wanting to do the responsible thing and being a responsible person, citizen and military person. And then the conflict, which was one of the main conflicts that ended up having, which ended up resulting in so many folks ending up in the psychiatric ward with 
having to navigate that conflict, that seeming conflict. Wow, that was really a moving poet. poem. No, thanks. Thank you. Um, so this next one, I'll read two others that are from the book. And um, one is called, one of the main issues is being a male. And this is not to bash men or anybody for that matter. Um, it's about though, I think we men can use a lot of help in how to become better versions of ourselves. And the military has always been, and as well as the government, run pri pri primarily by white, wealthy white heterosexual males. Mm -hmm. And I, so I believe that we men, if we're willing to step up and with compassion and love and courage and integrity, we can really make a difference to make the world safer for children, women, the animals, the earth, everything. Amen. But we have to get, <laughs> thank you, and a woman too. And uh, uh, um, I was learned that, my, you know, I grew up uh, Italian in Brooklyn and East Rockway and macho was the thing and being macho in a lot of cultures, that's the deal. And that's something I think it really hurts our humanity as as men. And then it sets us up to be not best, let's just say the, not the best versions of ourselves. So this is the poem about, it's called Macho Man, From Boyhood to Man. The root of all dumb renders us all numb from feeling who we are, alienated from ourselves so far. From the time we're a child, we're taught to be wild or intellectual. Number one is what we're molded to be fun, to prove our worth the stronger, a crybaby no longer. Tender feeling is to be weak, walled off from gentle is what we seek. To always be at the top, otherwise we're a flop, competing with each other instead of each our brother. Sets us up to fight and pretend we're in control until the end. Over women, animals, the land, no clear picture of healthy man. All others perceived as a threat. Don't let them see us sweat. Racism, sexism, homophobia, refugees, cleansing utopia, utopia. What a treacherous, treacherous game. It's important to finally name, for we'll never be truly alive, staying stuck in this race to survive. And if we really want to be free, we've got to take off the blinders to see that we've been hoodwinked all along. And being macho is all wrong. It's a front, a lie, a sham. Being gentle and kind is who I am. Being brave and honest and humble admitting I'm wrong when I stumble, committed to equity for all, prevents me from the great fall from being all I can be, loving human like you and me, being nurturing, considerate and kind, we're finally out of the bind. And then we wake up and shout with joy as we cull the man from the boy. And we know that fully living is to share and to be giving each one our sister, our brother, each uh, love inside for ourselves and each other, giving love to ourselves and each other, giving love to ourselves and each other. Thank you, Roberto. Um, I really appreciate your honesty. And since we are on a Zoom meeting recording this, I, I can see from your facial expressions and I can hear from your voice how deeply you feel the words that you compose. Uh, I, and I appreciate that. Thanks, Carol. That means a lot. It means a lot.
you know, I just I give, I'm gonna have a, a plug and a shout out to Vince. Oh man, I'm gonna murder his last name, Dijonovic or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just started. He's he's part of the climate and militarism group, and he just started a men's group where we're talking about that what that poem was all about, the macho and oh. how it hurts all of us men and how we need to be vulnerable with ourselves and each other. So mm-hmm. I'm really grateful to that that new initiative. So yeah. this next, um, I wish sorry. more men would be open to that kind of thing. No, oh, thanks. I really, I have hope that more and more men are are longing for that connection and and being able to get out of the you know what what we can talk to about is the the man box. It keeps us all yeah. confined and stuck and hurt. So this is a one of my most recent poems. It's in the it's in the book and it's um it's called confederate flags and the capitol halls confederate flags in the capitol halls hang mike pence echoing off the walls it's finally come to this it's no surprise undeniable truth no more lies the country has a deep split this is this is our fate from the very beginning choosing love over hate. So now we get to see what we're really made of. Do we care for each other? Do we insist on love? Do we care for each other? Do we insist on love? Do we care for each other? Do we insist on love? I wrote that on um, January 18th, soon after the insurrection, on uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s day. It does always come back to love, doesn't it? Boy. If we loved ourselves, uh, if we loved others as much as we love ourselves, um, the world would be a different place. Mm. Yeah. And then that brings to mind, you know, what, what, what are we really talking about when we say love? And that book, as you know, that Bell Hooks book, All About mm-hmm. Love, she helps us define love because most of us use that word, but I don't know if we know really what we're talking about. So mm-hmm. that was a great yeah. book. Yeah. Um, so did you have any other poems from your book or did you want to share a few poems on climate crisis? Yeah, I'd like to uh, share these ones on the climate crisis. Um, and hopefully, like I said, they'll be in the book. Um by the way, can I give a plug for the book now, or should I wait till after? No, you can go ahead now. You can. Oh, so if if any of this uh, piques any interest, I hope that you consider um, getting the book. It's called again, "Healing Love Poems for White Supremacy Culture," and it's not just poetry; it's other essays and short articles and other pieces that I've written too, that also that help people who want to take action to really address uh, racism and all the different isms. Um, and it can be reached. You can get the book as well as the. There's an audio book too with a uh, an abridged um, uh, group of a poem, poetry, and other commentaries and uh, um, from the book. And it's um, you can get that from Rose Dog Books, um, actually Rose Dog Bookstore dot com. Rose Dog Bookstore dot com, and then you can and you can also order the abridged audio um, book too. So um, it's not the audiobooks available now. The book itself, because it's going into a reprinting, is going to be available hopefully in the next 
three to four weeks. Um, and maybe you could, I'm, I'm pretty sure you could probably pre-order it. Okay. So thank you for that shameless plug. I'm oh, hopeful. well, you're welcome. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing um, the book. And I have heard some of them already, and they're really wonderful. And what I'll do is put the resource out on uh, Facebook, on the Veterans for Peace Facebook page, and also on Veterans for Peace Chapter 168 uh, Facebook page with, you know, if anybody is interested in. And I'll also put that in the promo for the show. So uh, That's great, Carol. Really appreciate it. Now, I wrote the book selfishly for myself, self-caringly for myself, because I needed to, to get all the stuff out. And well, I, I think what you have to say is is really important, and uh, and I'll be happy if other people can hear that too. Yeah, I hope I hope people will find it helpful. Um, some of the poems I use in my counseling with some of my clients, and they they say that they it helps them because they you know they it helps give voice to their their pain and their feelings, and and hopefully some optimism and hope too. Mm -hmm. So. Um, I got to say, I really appreciate doing this show with you because I know that you really feel deeply about this too, from, from what I know of you and being being blessed to be part of you in the book club. So thank you very <laughs> well, thank much. You. It means a thank lot you. to me. Yeah. So this, uh, one of the first ones I wrote um, when you told me about, you know, the one to do that on the crisis, climate crisis and militarism. So this is called Climate Crisis and Militarism. Doctrine of Discovery, God's Anointed Ones. Manifest destiny, desecration of the land for power, wealth, and fun. The original native ones, honoring Earth Mother. Military might to control the other. People of color, animals, trees, pollution of water and air brings us to our knees. All life is sacred. The mountains, rivers, streams, Military power isn't what it seems. If we choose to use that power for recreating and preserving life and check the arrogant greed, senseless competition, bickering, and strife. So, to live in harmony with all life, saving our children from the edge, this is the moment in time to make a lifelong pledge to each do our part to replace each gun with flour. It's up to us right now to make this our finest hour. Takayasin, we are all in this together. And Takayasin is Lakota for all my relatives, all my relations. We're all connected, all one. Hmm. That was beautiful. And I think you had another one? Yeah, I'll do this one, um, Poem of Gratitude. Oh, and by the way, when I say all life is sacred, meaning worthwhile, worthy of love, worthy of respect, worthy of honoring, you know, that all life, and I'm no better, no worse than that insect, that tree, that child, that animal, that all life is sacred. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't that be wonderful if that was the core mission and value statement that we taught our young ones and all the military and, and everyone <laughs> put a whole different slant on things. So yeah, certainly would. So I'll end with a, a poem of gratitude. Our mother earth is hurting. Will we heed her urgent call? We of the military, will we walk proud and tall? Will we speak to those in power to be protectors of the land? We can't do this alone, worldwide joining hand in hand with integrity and humility, being courageous and kind, 
with compassion and strength with our heart and with our mind. So much beauty on our planet, so much beauty, so much worth, if we choose to soften, not harden, tend and grow our lovely garden. Walking gently on the earth, deep respect for all beings. May we each walk in beauty, truly grateful for all things. Pilamia, Wopila. Pilamia means thank you. And Wopila is a sacred thank you in, uh, in Lakota. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Gratitude, much gratitude to you, Carol. Well, thank you, Roberto. And um, I'd love to have you back on a future show. And um, take care, and I'll see you in the book club real soon. Look forward to it. Have a great evening. Thank you. Bye, Roberto. Bye. And not to be outdone by his brother, Dylan. Next up, I have Aiden Welsh for a station ID. Take it away, Aiden. Hi, we hope you're enjoying our show. You're listening to the Veterans for Peace Radio Hour in Louisville on Forward Radio 106.5 Low Power FM in Louisville, Kentucky. You can also listen by going to www.forwardradio.org and clicking on Listen Live Now or search for podcasts of previous shows. Please check us out. Well, that just about does it for our show. Um, We hope that you enjoyed it. And um, please come back and visit us again every month on the fourth Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of each month. We produce the Veterans for Peace Radio Hour. I'm just one of the five programmers who are involved, so we every other month we switch off. So that's why our program is a little bit different each time. We hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Until the next time. Bye. You have been listening to Veterans for Peace Radio Hour here on Forward Radio, WFMP-LP, 106.5 FM, Louisville, Kentucky. We have enjoyed our time with you today and look forward to having you back sometime soon. Please join us on the path to peace and nonviolence. We can imagine a world without war. And no matter what the journey is, it will always begin with the first step. For more information, please go to veteransforpeace168.org or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening.